episode 104. Do you feel like you need to move your body more often? Well, work out, yeah, of course, but I mean just generally move more. Most of us know that we don't hit the gym enough or walk or ride or swim or hike enough to keep our body healthy. But maybe, maybe we would if we had the right mindset around the situation. On today's episode, we talk about making movement a part of your normal life, adjusting your competitive attitude to reflect your stage of life and what to do if you're not someone that has a competitive attitude. Oh, and also how to make your newly found desk life (laughs) a little more lively. All right, let's get into the episode. Welcome to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. You've tuned in because you want to start taking your health seriously, so you don't, well, get sick and die. Here we talk all things health, nutrition, and human optimization. Let's jump into it with your host and resident scientist, Maddie Lansdowne. What's up, my healthy friends? Welcome to today's interview episode of the podcast. It's my mission to coach 150 individuals to create the sustainable, healthy life that they truly want before the end of 2020. Now, I hope you've been soaking up the rays and enjoying the much-needed vitamin D that's been pouring down from the sky lately as it's so very important for your immune health. Vitamin D deficiency is linked to illness and disease of a very wide variety. And with our unnaturally deficient winter this year aka the lockdowns, getting yourself out there and putting your skin in direct sunlight, not through the windows, not through your clothes, but in direct sunlight is super important. So if you're not out there yet, irrelevant of the time of year that you listen to this show, go and soak yourself up some immune boosting vitamin D sun rays. The other thing you should be doing is moving your body through space and time. And I don't mean that in any type of spiritual transcendent type way. (laughs) I mean exercising, physical movement to get your body healthy. And to talk to that in much depth, we have Ben Ruder from... uh, Pittsburgh in the US, who has a PhD in exercise physiology and teaches at a regional US university. He is also active as a practitioner, lifetime mover and athlete, and also has two podcasts of his very own called Move to Live and Fit Lab Pittsburgh. Ben believes movement should be treated as a lifestyle, not just an activity, because movement is part of what makes life complete. And so to get the ball rolling, what's up, Ben? Welcome to the show, mate. How are you? Doing great, Maddie. Thanks for having me. It's very interesting, your little intro with vitamin D. A couple of years ago when I had my blood tested, I'd kind of taken a six or eight months off having my blood tested because things got busy. And I discovered that my vitamin D level was a 17. Wow. <laughs> which is, for your listeners who don't know, that's very low. So immediately yes. a little more sunlight. But I also had to do some supplementation and was able to get it up into the mid-30s. So it's something that sneaks up on you. And I think it's always important to have a message like that, just as a reminder, even for people like you and me or professionals, it's like, Oh, yeah, I should have known that. Oh, absolutely. So where were you three years ago? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm here now and you you made it through. So you obviously did the right thing. <laughs> um, so with this weird situation in the world, talking about movements is sort of an interesting topic. And we we're chatting before as well, because a lot of, uh, you know, freedoms and liberties and, and options have been taken off the table for people in regards to, you know, just general life. And so we're really limited to essentially our lounge rooms for many people, especially here in Australia, you're not really allowed outside very long. Um, So generally speaking, as well as in context of what's just happened with the world, um, what do you think is wrong with the modern perspective on fitness and exercise and movement? That's a great question. I would say uh, very simply two things, which I think will drop us down the rabbit hole. Um, 
Number one is I think we have, even though I'm an exercise physiologist and I can give you the heart rate percentage and, and the percentage of one rep max for lifting, we overcomplicate things. So it is important to have a specific amount of cardiovascular exercise. It is important to do resistance training. It is important to do, to do uh, flexibility training. And you could even make the argument that some sort of mind-body training is important too. Yoga, Pilates, um, Tai Chi. But we overcomplicate it. So if you're not somebody who just geeks out on stuff like this, like me and from looking at your, at your website and you, it really makes people go, oh, that's too hard or, oh, that's not for me. And by the same token, along those same lines, the good thing about social media today is you can get all kinds of information. The bad thing about social media is you can get all kinds of information. And <laughs> are we allowed to swear on this podcast? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> you know, one of the things that, that people don't have time to do is you don't necessarily always have time to be a critical consumer. So you know as well as I do that a lot of the things that you see on Facebook or on Instagram or on Twitter are quite frankly bullshit. Yeah. So people don't know what to think or and they do the wrong thing. The second thing that I really think is difficult or why we have this problem is people, when they're children, don't necessarily learn how to have fun with movement. It's so over-organized. You know, when I was growing up, I'm 52, you're a little bit younger from looking at your bio, but you're still not a, a spring chicken quite. You know, I didn't have <laughs> I didn't have play dates. Mom and dad say, get the hell out of the house and don't come back until supper time. You know, let us know if you're going to be later. If it was baseball season, we were throwing the baseball, you know, we were we were building tree forts and doing things like that. So now you have these, or it's a different world, but you have these organized events and there are some kids who just aren't ball and, and stick type people. Yeah. They're just, maybe they don't have the motor skills to do it. Maybe they're not one of those competitive people who likes to be on teams or likes to compete. So we're not really set up, at least in the US, I can't speak for Australia. We're not really set up for that kid or that adult who goes, yeah, you know, I just want to move. I don't want to necessarily compete or do things like that. And one of the things I've noticed with friends of mine who have kids, I've got a couple of people who have kids who have grown up and I've known them for 15, 20 years. And these are people who are movers. They bike, they swim, they kayak, they do things like that. Their kids never did ball sports just because they weren't interested. Now their kids are young adults and they bike, they swim, they kayak, they go hiking. So what the parents have done, rather than saying, hey, go play baseball or go play cricket or go play rugby or Australian rules football, is they've kind of shown by example. It's like, look, you can move and moving can be fun even if it's just taking a walk. So I think we've overcomplicated it. And we've also haven't taught kids that, look, you don't have to move with the purpose of getting a workout in to get the benefits of, of moving. Yes, it's not putting it into just one hour slots of the day where you have to be this person that you're not by like forcing yourself to be competitive and like push through the pain. It's just, you know, create a lifestyle where you enjoy the experience of move. Well, enjoy experiences and movement's just a byproduct. It is a, a couple of one of my good friends when I was getting my doctoral degree at Auburn University was a psychology professor. I actually met him in the pool. I don't remember how. And we got to be great riding buddies. And he retired to Salida, Colorado. And a few years ago, I went out to visit him and his wife. And it wasn't planned. I mean, he said, bring your bike. But we exercised four or five hours a day. Now, some people who are listening are going, oh, my God, you know, they they walked or they ran or they bicycled for four or five hours a day. Oh, God, what, what is it, a torture chamber? <laughs> but it wasn't really that. I mean, it's, you know, 
we when we get together, we you know we we did that. We we did some stuff with his wife, some hiking. Who's who's big into it too, and just the conversations you have. You know, people who are involved in uh, treating mel- mental illnesses a lot of times talk about getting outside or to talk about doing the, their counseling sessions. And this is way beyond my area of expertise. Um, but while taking a walk or doing something, because rather than sitting behind a desk and say, so, Maddie, tell me your problems, you know, it's a more organic, natural conversation. In the same token, um, I've got a good friend of mine also that I met when I was in grad school and I was at a conference a few years ago and he happened to be stationed. He's in the military in the same city. And he said, hey, you know, let's let's get together and uh, and go for a run. Hadn't seen him in seven or eight, eight years. We got together for a, a run like 5.30 in the morning, hadn't seen him in seven or eight years who show up at this strange park. And it was like we never missed any time. It wasn't a workout. It was just kind of like, hey, let's catch up. And I think people miss out on that or a lot of people miss out on the fact they look at it as like, okay, it's this hour where I go to my spin class or I go to my my CrossFit class. Or, you know, if it's a kid, I've, I've got my two hours of basketball practice three times a week and just don't realize that, you know, you and I could probably be having the same conversation with a little more technology, going for a bike ride, taking a hike. Um, we've got a lady here in Pittsburgh who runs a nonprofit to get people outside. And before the pandemic hit, she's like, can we do a podcast interview where we're canoeing and picking up trash on the river? That's awesome. I love that. And, and it's like, as soon as this thing ends and, and you can start to socially gather in large groups, you can bet I'm going to call her up and say, hey, how do we arrange this? And I think we've just, to build on, on, on what I, I've said before is, We've lost just the joy and the fun of what it was when you were four or five years old. I mean, if you go to a playground and you watch a little kid go up and down the slide or the swing set or something like that, I mean, we lose that because we're thinking, you know, how much weight am I lifting or, you know, how fast am I running? Or for a lot of people, I don't want to do that because people are going to judge me. And I know one of the pre-interview questions you sent me is, why do people not get into fitness or why can't they get into fitness? Because we try to put them as a square block in a round hole rather than giving them all these opportunities and children to experiment and try these different things. So maybe you decide that, hey, I want to do this and I decide I want to do something else. I mean, one of the best examples of this is this is absolutely not a knock against it. But one of the least favorite things for me to do is to go to a yoga class. That doesn't mean yoga is bad. It just means it's not for me. And too many people are saying good, bad. Yeah. So then the people who are relying on the experts are saying, oh, well, I'm not doing the bench press workout or I'm not lifting free weights or I'm not running a marathon. Like one of the big things in running in the U.S. is or in triathlons, and I know triathlons are big in Australia. One of the things is if you're a triathlete, somebody say, oh. Have you done an Ironman? <laughs> yeah. You don't have to do an Ironman to be a triathlete. You can do sprint triathlons. You know, anybody who's involved in track and field, nobody walks up to the uh, to the 100 meter or the 200 meter runner and says, hey, what's your marathon time? Because they recognize that there are different events or different activities for different people. And I think we've missed out as a westernized society of saying, hey, find some things that are fun, find some things that are enjoyable. I tell a lot of the clients that I work with, uh, with personal training, with resistance training and fun- functional movement and correcting movement impairments, like, look, this is the stuff you do so you can do the things that you want to do, whether it's bike, whether it's play golf, whether it's play tennis. I've got a question for you and potentially as a male that's potentially got the past of being competitive as well. I've noticed this as I've 
you know, so I'm 31. I've mm-hmm. noticed this as I sort of got a bit older and started realizing that my physical capacity was not what it used to be. And I'm very much driven by competition. And so I, I'm, in, I'm sort of in those conversion years of converting my life to a movement lifestyle and trying really hard to not make it competitive because I know I'll just be disappointed <laughs> in myself because I'm not the elite national level swimmer that I was at, you know, age 18. And so for the competitive, you know, that sort of masculine and, and, and women too, but th- that personality of competition as we get older, it can be really disheartening to get into movement because we our previous drive was to win and was competitive and we still have those personalities but our body can't keep up anymore at the pace that we once had <laughs> yeah i've got a, a one one client who's in his early 60s who uh w- one of the comments that he's made to me more than once is you know the, the shit that they talk about when you get older how recovery takes longer it's actually true <laughs> <laughs> it is I, I think you know this is uh and, and you you see this here in the united states when you talk to uh or, or you see articles from former, especially from former uh, football players, uh, American rules football, not Australian rules football, um, and basketball players, you know, all their life until they're in their early 30s or maybe even even uh, mid-20s is like performance, performance, performance. And then they stop because they're not good enough. They have an injury, um, you know, uh, and they don't know what to do. I mean, the tremendous number amount of mental health issues and people going bankrupt, uh, people, you know, just losing focus in their life because nobody's ever given them the skills. So I think two things to think about with that is, first of all, just overall, I mean, I know one, one of the things that I, that I remember from my basic psychology class in college way back when in the last century uh, <laughs> Is, you know, at some point in time, there was a study that was done in the United States Olympic Training Center. And my numbers are going to be off on this. And they said, you know, if you could win an Olympic gold medal, but you'd be dead in five years, would you do it? And I think you can imagine as a former elite level competitor. In, absolutely. Inevitably, <laughs> a, a very high number said absolutely 100%. <laughs> yeah. And, and I don't think it's surprising. I, I had a, a great interview for one of my podcasts, Moving to Live, with a guy who's involved with uh, coaching education. He directs a uh, master's degree program in coaching education. And I'm going to get it wrong. So, Brian Garrity, I apologize. It's either Denver University or the University of Denver out in Colorado. I get it mixed up. And he had a great comment just as we were chatting. He said, you know, athletics is not necessarily healthy. And I think we forget about that because we think about, when we think about athletics, we think about those elite levels. You know, oh, I want to be like a Michael Phelps or I want to be like, uh, you know, there's some, there's some great older Australian swimmers. We forget that the people who can do that, the people who can win the world championships, the people who can win the Olympic gold medals. Those are special people. And I say that in a positive way. They are so focused. They have such physical gifts and they work so hard, but they are like the extreme of the extreme. If you look at a bell curve, they're way off on the end. You know, we've all seen the statistics of the likelihood of a high school player in the United States going and getting a college scholarship. And then the the likelihood of somebody getting a college scholarship of playing professionally and then of playing professionally, of actually being good enough to be a Hall of Famer. And the numbers get smaller and smaller and smaller. So on the one thing, the competition is good, but I think we need to do a good job of teaching people 
how to use the competition to make it healthy. And absolutely, when you're 18 years old, when you're 19 years old, if you're an elite level swimmer, you know, if you want to be the best you can be, that's your focus. You're focusing on how good can I be? What do I need to do? I need to break up with my girlfriend so I can potentially make the world's team. Absolutely not a problem (laughs) at all. Whereas now you may go into, well, I don't know if I want to do that. You know, I can't, I can't drink beer anymore. I can never have a beer or I can never, whatever it is. If it potentially improves your performance, you're going to do it. When you get a little older or maybe not a little older, you get a little bit more insight. You can still be very competitive. You know, there are a fair number of, of uh, former elite level swimmers, even medalists who are swimming comparable times in their 30s and even 40s in master swimming with less swimming. Um, it doesn't mean you're necessarily going to be, be able to beat their time. But if, you can, if we can somehow counsel people and coach people as they're doing these things as competitive as saying, teach them to use that competitiveness and to have realistic expectations. I, I know when I trained when I was in graduate school for my first Ironman. You know, I'm a exercise physiologist. I was a runner. I was a biker, not a swimmer. That was my least favorite aspect. <laughs> um, but one of the things that I did that was absolutely the best thing that I did for my first Ironman, here I am, a PhD student. I hired a coach. And I remember it was an October race. And I, I, I knew the guy from when I lived in Atlanta, Georgia, and I was about two hours away in Auburn. And you know, I said, I want to hire you, Jay. Sure, no problem. And this was in like March, races in October. I said, what do I need to do? He said, just be able to run for three hours, bike for four or five hours, and I'll, I'll, I'll contact you when it's time. <laughs> About 14 weeks before the race, he contacts Yep. Me. Had a good program. Um, one, one of the things I remember saying to him partway through, I was like, Jay, you know, this is a problem. It's like, I, I'm on the bike and I'm, ride, I'm riding. And like the first 90 minutes, it's like, I hate it. My butt hurts. My neck hurts. My back hurts. <laughs> I'm getting off the bike. I'm, I'm making excuses to go to the bathroom to adjust my seat height. It's like, this isn't working. Something's going, long, going wrong. He goes, well, how do you feel after that? I said, I feel good. You know, if I can get through 90 minutes, you know, I can ride for six hours. It's not a problem at all. He said, well, how long is the swim going to take you? I said, I don't know. An, an hour, an hour and 10 minutes. He goes, okay. So then you're going to have an hour, hour and 10 minutes. It's a long transition area. You're going to get on the bike. Do you want to feel good like 60 minutes into the bike or do you want to feel good four hours into the bike? And what that gave me is it was somebody who didn't have that emotional investment in it. He, I mean, to some extent, he had an emotional investment because we were friends and I, and I was paying him also. But he doesn't have the emotional investment that I had as an athlete, not near at the level that you were at. So one of the things that I think is really important to people who do long-term movement is maybe they're not involved in team sports or group exercise, but they have people that, who they can use as sounding boards. If I, if I can tell another story of that, I've got a, a good friend of mine who I'm not going to name, who is a very, very gifted athlete, um, very good as a, as a junior uh, bike racer, very, very good as a triathlete, not elite level, but amateur level. Mm-hmm. And I remember when he was like 25, 26, he sent me an email and he said, you know, this was, this was back in the mid-2000s when uh, anti-aging was big. I don't know if that was ever big in Australia yeah, with was. a lot of uh, the ease of getting a testosterone prescription no matter yep. what, the ease of getting um, other versions of synth- synthetic uh, testosterone. And he said, you know, what do you think about this? He's got, I've got some friends doing it. I see they're, they're, they're blowing me away on the bike. They're recovering better. They're doing better. Um, 
And I, I said to him, I said, you know, there's there's absolutely no question it's going to if you continue to train the way you do, it's going to improve your performance. Probably you're probably going to recover better. You're probably going to be able to train harder. Um, I said, but the thing you have to ask, you have to ask yourself two things. I said, number one. So you knock eight minutes off your Ironman time. You're an age grouper. So what? What's it going to give you? I said, yeah. number two, you've got two young boys. Right now, this is banned without a therapeutic exemption. You're not going to get a therapeutic exemption. So if you take it, what are the chances of you getting caught by USADA, which is United States Anti-Doping yeah. uh, Agency, associated with WADA, the World Anti-Doping Agency? I said, if you test, you're going to fail. Yeah. You're going to get banned. What kind of a message is that sending to your kids? Yeah. And we had a really good conversation about that. And I think one of the things that the people who excel, who are so super competitive, is either they have a really good coach who introduces them to somebody like that, or hey, they have somebody in their entourage who is looking out for them and looking out, not looking out for what can I get out of this? And you know, sometimes it doesn't have to be a professional. Sometimes it can be a good friend. Sometimes it can it can be a parent. And I think one of the things that we miss out, I've actually got another shameless plug for people that I interview on my podcast because they're the most important people. Uh, a guy who is a sports performance coach, he's not a sports psychologist because he doesn't have a degree. Yeah. He has a doctorate in sports psychology, but he's not a psychologist, yeah. is the importance of having somebody who can look at you and be honest with you and say, look, Maddie, you're 32. You need to get your head out of your ass. <laughs> now, there's different there's different ways of saying that, totally. knowing who you're who, knowing who who the, uh, the 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 you know knowing who the per person is. But I think one of the things that we've done as a weakness, at least here in the U.S., it's a weakness if if you're as an 18 year old. And I think Michael Phelps has just come out with this to stay with the swimming thing. Is he's talked about his his mental struggles, and I think so much. It's not a sign of weakness. You know, we look at sports performance, but it's not just as sports performance. It's also quality of life and understanding and be able to recognize I'm not the only one that's going on with this. Absolutely. And I think in its kind of entirety, what you've just talked about is possessing emotional maturity, either within yourself or to be able to outsource that maturity to a sounding board that you trust. And, and the thing that you mentioned about elite athletes being on the very, very end of the bell curve outliers is that their personality types arguably fall into some pretty extreme, you know, psychopath, sociopath personality types. And, and emotional maturity is having the awareness that there is more to life than competition, whilst it might be important in, you know, the context of where you're at right now. But, you know, relationships are important, food's important, uh, you know, being at family gatherings is important and they all contribute to the you know emotional experience of what life is and so um, I guess yeah going through a period of your life where you're super focused on one thing be it business be it sport be it whatever is going to have a cost somewhere else in your life so I always think of these things as a trade like every every decision comes with a cost and it's always the question is are you willing to pay the cost and I know here in the US uh, in the spring we had the uh, ESPN docuseries the last dance i don't know if you've seen that in australia yet it was uh 10 parts yeah, I have i watched it and i mean you know one of the things you saw in the media is people saying well michael jordan's an absolute jerk and, and what i took away from is like well he may or may not have been but if if there's any, if there's ever a question of what does it take to be you know one of two or three players in the running for for the greatest of all time in basketball 
right there's your example. And, and, you know, you may not like him. You may not like the way he comes off. He may not like it, but that's probably what it takes to be that good and be that dominant. And I, I think uh, for a lot of people, they, they, they were surprised at that because, you know, all they see is what you see on TV. Or when we see the Olympics every four years, we see the swimmers come out and just, you know, because I'm an American and because he won a lot of medals, I'll say Michael Phelps. You know, you see what Michael Phelps did for three or four Olympics. And they don't realize that he was doing things like, I mean, not things like that, but he was training basically since he was eight or nine years old to do that. Yeah, absolutely. The commitment is insane. And maybe it's because I'm sort of, I'm one, a male and two, been in, in sport and around those kind of guys before. But like, I wasn't surprised by that documentary at all. I was like, of course, to be the most elite on the planet, you have to be absolutely savage. Like, you know, the nice guy finishes last thing kind of rings true in my mind. There's like, you know, and, and everybody sees the interviews and stuff and, and forgets that behind the scenes, this person's personality is more ruthless than any person you've ever met in your entire life by about a 100. <laughs> and just kind of with our chatting here, I think that brings into the fact that what we've done in the organized activities for those of us who are not elite is, you know, how often have you read on social media about the you know the the 30 year old man boot camp class or or the women who are who are do, who are doing whatever the class is and they talk about crushing it or training like professionals yeah and it's like no you don't want to do that i mean because the professional wants to push it where they're going that razor edge where if they're perfect you go wow that was a really great performance and if they're not it's like who the heck is that schmuck in lane 3 who just who just <laughs> finished in last place it's like i thought he was supposed to be good you know, our goal as movement professionals or as people as health professionals is to use movement, to use exercise to just enhance people's quality of life. Now, granted, people like you who are a little more a little more focused or a little more competitive, you know, I may be 52, but I may I'm still saying, you know, I wanna I wanna do certain events, you know, I wanna I wanna do a rim to rim run or hike of the Grand Canyon. There's things that I wanna do that are competitive. And I think I can do pretty good times. Am I going to probably be able to run as fast as when I was 24? Probably not. No, but that's why I run trails, because you're slower on trails. <laughs> <laughs> you know how to hack your mindset. I like this. <laughs> although, although I will comment the interesting thing about this is to, to go back with the gentleman that I visited him and his wife in Colorado, which he lives at 8,500 feet. I'm sorry for the Australian listeners. I can't convert that to meters. Um, but it's up there at elevation. Yeah, be about 2,000 meters. You know, I was always a much faster bike rider than Bill. Bill, Bill turned 65 that year. Yep. I was always a much fa faster bike rider than Bill. Bill kicked my ass up and down every single <laughs> hill. So the other thing with having the right mindset is putting yourself in the right situation. So, you know, if you think I'm going to swim against some young gun and I want to be a little faster, then do something that puts you, if you're really good in waves, do an open water swim. If you're really good in cold water, do a cold water swim. If you're really good, if there's sharks in the water, no, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> well, we are in Australia I mean, the, over here. <laughs> you are, the, whole, the whole thing I think people forget about is, and, and I don't know for sure, but I would suspect if you look back when you were swimming at an elite level, many times it wasn't all that fun. Many times it was a drudgery. You know, the overwhelming picture is, you know, when you did well in a competition, but when you get up at 4.30 or 5 o'clock in the morning and you realize that you're going to go to the pool and you're going to swim, you know, 8,000, 10,000, 12,000 meters, and you're going to have to come back that afternoon and do it at the same time, 
it wasn't fun because it isn't fun unless you are really, really warped. So picture this, right? Unlocking your potential, conquering emotional eating, and gaining insights directly from a health and nutrition expert such as myself. That's what we do inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group, which is currently free to join. If you've ever felt trapped by food challenges, struggled with maintaining a healthy lifestyle, or yearned for a community that understands the reasons why you've yo-yo dieted for years, then there's a new chapter waiting to be written. And this is your chance to start writing it by joining us all on Facebook Lives, on engaging posts that push you out of your comfort zone and into growth, and Q&A sessions with me. All of this works as a platform to begin changing your emotional eating problems for good. Oh, and also, as a special gift, you receive my transformative How to Turn Food into Self-Confidence ebook. And that's also for free. I get it. Skepticism might linger. You might think, Maddie, I've heard these ads and I'm not sure. Well, at least a quarter of the members inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group have been paying clients of my emotional eating program at some point over the last three or four years. So if you're not sure, you can post in the group and ask to find out if I'm the real deal or not. It's totally up to you. To join us in the free Healthy Mums Collective and to end your emotional eating and feel good in your own skin and begin that journey, pop down to the show notes below, click the link and breeze through three simple entry questions. Join today and let's embark on a journey of growth and empowerment. The link is in the show notes below. If my parents listen to this episode, they're going to hear you say that and be like, it was not fun at all getting up <laughs> at 4.30 for five years in, you know, before I was an adult. <laughs> and, and, I, and I will say to your parents, you're lucky that you're not in the U.S. where, where Maddie was playing uh, youth hockey because youth hockey, you get the really bad rink times. So it's not unusual to have practice at like two in the morning. So what? just be thankful he was a well because there are a limited number of ice rinks, right. and if you have other things, you know you may get it at two o'clock in the morning. So you have practice <laughs> at two o'clock in the morning. So your parents lucked out not being in the U.S. and you not being a hockey player. <laughs> well, um, hockey sounds awesome. I've actually never seen ice hockey before, but um, so I guess we've talked about like the sort of competitiveness, um, and I've obviously spoken from a masculine perspective because that's all I've got. But there's you know there's women in that category too. Of course, there's some savage, ruthless women in the sporting world. You know, especially these days with the likes of UFC and stuff like that. You know, there's some super powerful, strong women that are just you know savage with their commitment to what they do. But what about the sort of you know, the, the everyday person sort of past their youth that maybe was never competitive anyway. And life isn't really set up for a movement lifestyle. You know, we're sitting, especially right now in this chair that you see me in right now, I'm in this like 16 hours a day at the minute. And a lot of people are, even before this whole 2020 saga unfolded, uh, a lot of people were sitting in chairs, you know, 12, 14 hours a day, going home and just sort of sitting down for dinner going to bed, and there was just no space for movement. So where do we go from here in creating lives that involve the capacity for movement on a daily basis? Well, I'd say the first thing is if you, if you are working from home, um, get yourself a standing desk. If, if you're uh, doing the video on this and you see me around, I'm not only on a standing desk, I'm actually on a wobble board. Nice. Uh, and I've actually got a friend of mine who teaches in a physical therapy program. He's online now partially because of the pandemic and he just bought a standing desk. He's all excited. So I, th I think there's, there's two things or three things potentially that people can do. Um, and, and I'll be the first to admit that sometimes I'm not the best with this. The first thing is if you're at your desk, 
take micro breaks. There are computer programs. I don't know the exact name of one, but there's one for Macs. I'm a Mac guy just because it works where every you can set whatever it is. Every 15 or 20 minutes, it'll pop something up on the screen and you can take some sort of a micro break, whether it's do five push-ups, you know, five jumping jacks, just step off and stretch. Now, I will confess to your listeners, I did initially install this on my computer and it drove me bonkers. <laughs> I would just hit the escape key because like, I'm just into this. Yeah. Um, what's made it better is me having a standing desk because now I can move around and do stuff like this. Um, so I mean, the first thing is just be aware of if at all possible, like I'm the person when I go to department meetings, if we're there 20, more than 20 minutes, which we are, I stand up and go to the back. Try to avoid, think about when you fly, you know, in Australia, if you're going anywhere out of the country, even in the country, you've got six plus hours in the country, depending where you're going, right? If you're going out of the country, um, multiply that by two, three, four, depending where you're going. I know <laughs> I've got some friends who, when they come to the US, they look like crap when they get off the plane. So yeah, it's, I'm pretty sure it's the longest plane flight in the world from a, a, like a Melbourne, Australia to LA. Yeah. And I've, I've done, it, I've done it a couple of times and it was like 17 hours. Yeah. So think about how you felt when you got off that plane. I mean, it's, it doesn't matter if you were flying first class in the nice inclined seats. Um, so I would encourage people who are not in the movement lifestyle is just look, look at how much time you're sedentary. And try to reduce it. I mean, we could talk about what the American College of Sports Medicine recommends. But rather than getting it complicated, say, look, minimize how much time. So if you're at a desk, set a little timer or get it, get a uh, an hourglass or something. So every 20 or 30 minutes, you can take even a two or three minute break. Even if it's just, you know, shrugging your shoulders, raising your arms up, just something. So you're not in that focused position doing that. Yeah. I think that's the first thing. Just be aware of, of how, mu how much time you can do that. Um, I think the second thing people can do, be aware of that, is if you are stuck at the desk, which many of us are, you know, I mentioned my real job or my full-time job is I teach for a university from home, maximize your ergogenics or ergonomics rather. You know, if you're somebody who thought, oh, this pandemic isn't going to last that long, you know, I'll be back at the office. <laughs> I think at least they're saying in the US, I imagine it's the same in Australia, there are a lot of offices that are finding out, it's like, you know what? We can have people at home and they're just as productive, so we're not going to bring them back into the office. So if you're hunched up in the corner of your love seat or you're hunched over the dining room table, figure out what you can do to put yourself in a better position. Because, you know, think about it. Would you rather ride, and I'll, I'll be wrong with the names of the vehicles because I don't know Australian vehicles, but, you know, would you rather ride, for, and I'm 6'2", so I would much rather ride around in a Cadillac for a long drive than a Porsche 911, even though a Porsche 911 would be a heck of a lot more fun. <laughs> yeah, I know. So, you know, put your think about your position that you're putting yourself in the majority of the time. Like here in the U.S., people ask me all the time, I, I drive Jeeps. And they say, well, why do you drive a Jeep? Because the seats are the most comfortable seats for me. I mean, I like everything else about it, too. But the two vehicles that have the most comfortable seats in the world for me, and I've actually gone to auto shows and sat in different vehicles and gone, yeah, this one sucks. This one is no good. Like, I think the Mini Cooper is really cool. I can't sit in it because it's uncomfortable. Yeah. My head actually hits the roof. <laughs> me too. <laughs> um, but, but the two vehicles that are most comfortable are the Jeep Wranglers or the Jeep Gladiator pickup trucks and the Mercedes G-Wagon. So I'm not rich enough to afford a Mercedes G-Wagon. So if I want to have a comfortable vehicle, it's a Jeep Wrangler. Yeah. So these are things, I mean, people always say, well, this is what I got. 
you know, this is, I, I don't have it. You know, you don't have to buy a fancy standing desk. You don't have to buy a fancy desk. Um, you know, cardboard boxes can give you a good idea. Um, here, face, Facebook Marketplace or here in the United States, Craigslist, a lot of times people buy stuff and then they get rid of it. So use a little imagination. People say, well, you know, what, you know, I don't know what to do. Ask an expert like you or me, you know, read blogs that are online and get an idea and realize that, you know, if you spend four or five hours researching this, it can play dividends down the road. I mean, when I got my standing desk, I thought, well, I'll spend some time sitting down. I'll spend some time standing. I haven't sat down at the desk since. I don't even know how to put it down anymore <laughs> because I just realized, you know, this is good because I'm standing. I'm standing on a wobble board. And when it gets uncomfortable, it's time for me to put the headphones down and walk away. Yeah. You know, I'm standing. So it's a, it's a little more active. And I know that there are times that I get focused. It's like, okay, I need to stop because my low back's a little sore. Yeah. So the first thing is optimize your ergonomics. And I mean, there's a lot of articles out there. Um, there's, it looks like this is going on for a while. The second thing is figure out what type of a person you are. Are you a social person? Do you like to, are you the one who likes to be at the pub all the time talking? Or are you the one who likes maybe one or two people? <laughs> like my, my ideal, I've, I've gotten my girlfriend into, into, uh, biking and like my idea of an, an awesome workout is one or two other people and a hike or a run or a bike or alone. And I mean, a lot of my best ideas, like if you told me three years ago, I'd be talking to some guy from Australia on a podcast, I'd say you're full of crap. <laughs> here we are. <laughs> but, but here we are. You know, the ideas came, just the idea, you know, there's there's a book out there on forest bathing. There, there's a, there's uh, things about nature baths. I don't know if you've talked about that, but just the idea of being outside, just walking, just experiencing for some people just gets those creative juices flowing. For other people, the idea of a creative juice is, you know, some sort of like F45, which I believe uh, started started in Australia. Yes. You know, l large, you know, large group classes, people yelling at you, encouraging you. It's like, you know, I, I'd want to throttle that. So figure out what type of a person you are. Yeah, and I'm a big fan of the logic of, of, of working. It's the same with nutrition and fitness as well, is that work with your personality. I think a lot of people look at, um, you know, we kind of talked about this in the beginning, but a lot of people look up to these stars or Instagram models or, you know, whatever, and they're like, I have to do what that person's doing, but they fail mm -hmm. to recognize that I don't have the same personality and therefore their regime will totally fail for me. And so, yeah, I think working to the strengths and uh, weaknesses and setting things up to your personality personality is essential for success with nutrition or, or physical movement. Yeah, I was actually just before I got on this podcast with you, I use a, an app called Lose It. I, I mentioned to uh, to Lisa, my girlfriend, I said, yeah, it's been 768 straight days of, of me tracking my diet. Now, on the one hand, if somebody is uh, has a propensity for eating disorders or disordered eating, that's absolutely the wrong thing for them. And I know some people look at yes. me and they go, that's crazy. Absolutely. But for me, but for me, it's like, okay, this lets me know. Why do I feel like crap? Yeah. Oh, no wonder for the last three days I wasn't taking in enough KCALs or my protein intake was low. So for me, it's a tool. And for me, it's kind of it keeps me accountable. It's like, do I want that extra glass of wine? Yeah, I can have that extra glass of wine. Or wow, you know, I had dessert three days ago, two days ago, one day ago, and I wasn't all that active. So for me, it works, but I completely understand that somebody whose personality is a little bit different. So I think that's number two, figure out what type of a person you are. I've got yeah. a good friend of mine from college. Um, 
And what she does is she's got a lady who's a friend of hers and they meet every morning at 530 in the morning and walk. Yeah. So they have the commitment of somebody else. It's real easy for me to roll out of bed at 530 and go, and I'm not going to go. But if it's like, hey, Maddie's (laughs) waiting to take a walk with me or Maddie's waiting for a swim. I'm going to show up. You know, when I was in grad school. My, when I was in grad school, my my buddy that I mentioned, who's out in Colorado, we met at five thirty, three or four days a week to go bike riding. I can tell you, when it was a little cold out, there was one of the things that would get me out the door was that. Yeah. The other thing I think that a lot of people forget about, or not the other thing, just along those same lines, is figure out what type of a day person you are as far as working out. Like I know a lot of people love that seven p.m. class or that class right after work. It's like I'm an early morning person. My idea, if I'm all done by 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning, and admittedly, a lot of my movement is because I enjoy it and and it's social for me. But if I'm done by 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning, that's great. If I say, you know, hey, I'm going to go for a run at seven o'clock at night, I'm likely not to do it. But other people, they're not morning people. So people need to put that kind of figure what that out is. And and I think one of the things that people are going to say, well, but, you know, I have all these other responsibilities, wife, husband, boyfriend, girlfriend job, kids, uh, church, what, what a volunteer work here in the U S and my statistics may be a little bit off. Most people have 10 to 12 years at the end of their life where they're not able to do what they want to do specifically because they have physical disabilities, whatever it is, you know, their body has let them down. Yeah. So my comment to people who say that, and I, and I see this in my dad who's maintained activity, who's in his, his 80s. You know, he bikes, he uses an electric bike where it's hills, but he, he pedals, he paddles a, a canoe, um, he walks. And I can see the quality of life versus people who don't do that. Yeah. So I'm t- I tell people, this is important so that you can do whatever you want to do. And hopefully, I don't mean this to sound macabre, you can have a massive stroke right now and drop dead. So you can do whatever you want to do up until the day you die. And it's not what you're going to do right now that's going to have an effect tomorrow. It's what you did six months ago. It's what you did six years ago. It's depending how old you are. You know, you, you did uh, 20 years ago or 50 years ago. There was a, a video, a brief documentary floating around the U.S. last year. Um, there's a mountain in uh, the state of I hope I get this right. The state of Vermont, Vermont, Mount Washington, which is fairly high. It has the most extreme winds. And they have a uh, a run up Mount Washington every year. Right. This guy is 80 some years old. And every year for the last 10 or 15, 10 years or so, he's organized a bunch of older gentlemen to do the team run up this. Yeah. And I mean, admittedly, he's running fairly slow, but the guy's 80 years old and he's doing a seven or eight mile run up. And I mean, I think that's absolutely phenomenal. It is. You know, they interview they talk to him and you can tell there's just like a spark of life. You know, this is something you mentioned, the competitiveness. You know, he's accepted that he gets slower, but the competitiveness is just saying, hey, I'm a year older and I still made it to the top of that mountain. Perspective, yeah. So I think I, I think, I think uh, another thing, and I'm, pr- I'm probably a little disjointed on this, so I apologize to your listeners, but I think you can tell I get excited about it, is figure out what, you, what your goal or what, or what your motivation is. You know, one, a couple of things that have, have worked for me um, I mentioned when we were talking before interviewing, I had a, a number of retinal injuries and I basically had three or four years where I wasn't allowed to do a lot of exercise because if anybody knows who has retinal injuries, I had to stay in one position for things to heal. Um, and I recognized how important movement was, was to me. So, so that was actually a blessing. Um, Strava, 
which is allows me not to compete with other people, but just, you know, if there's a hill or something that I walk on or run on or bike on, I'm able to see how my times compare to other times. And one of the things just along the same lines, and I seem to bring this up in every podcast interview I am in, is one of the things that gets me out the door and really makes me want to move is I've got two Labrador retrievers. And I mean, there's nothing more fun in the woods than taking the Labrador retrievers and, and jumping over trees and running through streams and just watching them have a blast. I mean, it's just something it, it sparks the the creative juices. And, you know, it's hard to be in a bad mood, even if it's uh, snowing out or it's pouring rain out when you've got two dogs that are just having a blast. So I I, I think for people it's having the willingness to explore different things and to recognize that, you know, you may not like one activity, but there's got to be something out there that you like so you can keep moving on a regular basis. And then when you get to that point, you can say, okay, what do I need to do so I can enhance this? I've got a a lady who's since moved who had uh, rheumatoid arthritis that I was working with. And she had the ability to, to, uh, go hiking when she was in New Zealand and Australia. She had very bad rheumatoid arthritis in her 60s, gave her some hiking poles to use. And I got a text message and she's like on the top of a cliff overlooking a ma- uh, overlooking the ocean and goes, I hiked 10K. That's awesome. That's absolutely friggin' awesome. You know, the ability, and she said, I never, I never could have done that without you. It's like, no, no, it's not me. You took the step and said, I need to do something so I can continue to move. And, and I think so many people are waiting there to say, well, Maddie, tell me what to do. And I think uh, I, I still remember from my intro psych class is probably the only other thing I remember besides what I mentioned before with the, the Olympic study is people who have the internal locus of control or the external locus of control. You know, the people who have the external locus of control are always asking or always making excuses. Well, you know, this podcast wasn't really that good because Maddie didn't ask me the right questions. I could have done a lot better, <laughs> um, you know, or I didn't go to the gym because, you know, somebody parked behind my car. You know, life isn't fair. Life sometimes sucks, but life is absolutely wonderful. And it's kind of like figure out what you can do to move because that's going to enhance your life, not just now. 10 years, 20 years, 30 years down the road so that you don't have those few years where you're going, God, you know, I wish I could go to Australia, but it's just too hard to fly. Or I wish I could get down on the floor with my grandkids, but I can't get back up if I do that. Yeah. So it's like at the core, it's about commitment to yourself and commitment to the betterment of self and the preservation of self, really. I like I like the preservation of self. I mean, people always, you you never want to be say, I'm too old for that. Um, no way. Yeah. I mean, no, and, and I, and I don't know what it is. I mean, there's some people who just have it. I mean, there may be periods of time because of job, because of family, because of illness where they're not able to be as active. I'll, I'll tell another, another story. And I think it's, you know, how you get motivated. I have a, I had a, another client who unfortunately has died, but came to see me cause he had low back problems. Um, the doctor basically said, yeah, you've got herniated discs, but you're a non-surgical candidate. So I mean, obviously we did a variety of exercises and he was able to play golf, Great. Uh, which is what he wanted to do. But he was diagnosed with lung cancer. And I remember him saying to me, you know, say, this is going to kill me. I mean, it's, it's stage four. I'm going to die. But I want to do as much as I can. And the two things, I mean, he, he still came and worked with me when he was able, sometimes the same day as having chemo. Um, but the two things that just really left a lasting impression with me is one of the things he had done for 20 or 30 years, uh, he was retired as, as a banking professional, 
is he had gone to either Aspen or Vail in early December to ski because nobody was there. And that was kind of like I said, I like to be out in the woods with my dogs alone. He would go there every year and that was kind of like his reset. Yeah. And I still remember him texting me a picture of him at the top of the mountain and there was nobody all the way down the mountain. Yeah. And he was able to do that while getting treated because he'd taken care of his body all his life. The other thing is when he was in a hospice, his granddaughter came to visit him and he was very feeble then, but he was able to use his granddaughter's stroller as a walker to push his granddaughter down the hallway. The next day he died. Yeah. Which is horrible. On the other hand, his granddaughter, who was less than three weeks old, now has a video when she's old enough is going to be able to look and see that grandpa was actually interacting with her. And if he was somebody who hadn't made a commitment as a busy white collar professional, you know, six figures easily, if not seven figures, if he had not made the commitment, I'm going to take care of my health, he would not have had the strength to do as well as he did with the cancer treatment and survive as long as he did. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's, that's always left a a lasting impression. It's kind of like, you know, if you've got that sort of attitude, you know, whatever life throws you, you can deal with it. I totally agree. And I've, I think you've dropped a heap of great knowledge and content uh, today and I'm really grateful for your time and energy today as well. And so because the listeners are probably want to get a bit more of you, where can they find you online? I tell, I tell people this is the easiest way. I've got two podcasts, Moving to Live and Fit Lab Pittsburgh. But the easiest way to get all the links and the easiest way you're going to remember it is go to Instagram, F-I-T-L-A-B-P-G-H. Mm-hmm. We link to all of our podcasts from there. The other thing that we do here in the Pittsburgh area is three times a week, we do a one-minute movement tip lifestyle hack video. So you can do that. I'll I'll tell your dog lovers, a lot of them are me in the woods with my dogs, and I have an idea. And our whole idea or our whole ethos is is twofold. First of all, we want to break down the knowledge silo. So we're going to get you on the the podcast, Maddie. Just anybody who's involved, anybody who's involved in the movement field, this is my little shill. We want one of two things. We want people to either move more or we want them to move better, either if it's more efficiently or with less pain. And what we have the tendency to do is all of us go in knowledge silos. You know, the the doctors talk to the doctors and, you know, the orthopods aren't going to talk to the other doctors because they're they have egos and the physical therapist won't talk to the personal trainers. But there's all these kernels of knowledge and, th- and, and things that are out there that if you pick up one thing from the different professionals and it passes on to you. So our podcast break down the knowledge silos. The second thing I want to say with this is be an active consumer. So, you know, look at people, not necessarily how flashy their podcasts are or their videos are, but look who's following them. You know, if you've got big names in Australia who are following you, then you go, okay, Maddie's a good source of information. Um, and I, and I think one of the things, in addition to us doing a bad job with kids, as far as teaching them that it's okay not to be competitive like you were and like I was, although not at the same level, is we've done a bad job of teaching people how to be consumers. So rather than just passively sitting there, oh, that looks like a cool video, have the, have the wherewithal to say, is that good? And I think the best thing to do with that, all of us have this, find yourself one or two experts who you can pick their brain. So if I've got a question about something related to movement, even though I've got a PhD, I've got one or two guys, I've got a chiropractor, I've got, I've got an osteopath that I know, and I can ask them. And it's kind of a sounding board. 
most of us spend more time looking for a mechanic for our car than we look for medical professionals or movement professionals. And I think that's one of the reasons why we're having a conversation like this about how do we get people to be healthier? How do we get a healthier lifestyle? How do we get people to move more? So be more of a critical consumer like it was your fancy car. Yeah, absolutely. And for everybody as well, I'll put all of your links and handles and whatnot in the show notes below. So for anyone listening, if you've enjoyed this or you think that uh, a friend or family member will benefit, you know, send it over, share it with them or take a screenshot and put it in your social media story and tag both myself and Ben so that we can see who's, uh, who's watching or listening to the show and we'll, we'll give it a share as well. And so to wrap up, uh, Ben, I always ask this final question, which you might have already answered, um, but what is one piece of health information you wish more people knew about just move so i wish more people would say i'm going to make a commitment to just do something as simple as take a 10 or 15 minute walk every day or do a 10 or 15 minute yoga routine or something like that which there's all kinds of great things on youtube if you happen to be locked down like you are in australia just make a commitment to say if you can do that 80 percent of the time you're way ahead of the game Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being on the show, mate. I'm really uh, been grateful for you. Yeah, just this conversation. It's been really great. And um, I hope that things are okay over there in the US where you are and that uh, we can organize another podcast soon. Always enjoy talking about moving and I, I had a great time on this. Awesome. Thanks. We'll catch you later. Thanks for listening to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. If you love this episode and health information is your thing, then please consider subscribing to the show. And when you're done, head over to iTunes, Google Podcast, or whichever app you use, and we'd be grateful if you could leave us a five-star rating and write a review sharing your opinion on the show as it really helps the podcast grow. Thanks so much, and I'll see you on the next episode. Whilst the presenter that feature on this podcast endeavor to provide accurate information, it cannot possibly take into account your individual circumstances, and therefore the content on this podcast provided by any of the speakers is not intended as advice in any way for any individual, and should not be a replacement for professional medical or health advice of any nature. Always seek advice regarding your personal situation from a qualified medical professional.